2 Timothy 3.14-17.996 But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus. We plead his blood for us. He is our advocate with you, and we praise you that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the King through faith in him. And we thank you for this time and for this day. We thank you for your word that is a sure and steady anchor for us, that every word of the Lord proves true that you are reliable, that you are faithful, and that we can trust your word and know salvation through it, that we can know your son Christ, and that we can love him and love you. We ask that you would come and anoint the preaching of your word this morning and strengthen Cody. And I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. October 31st, 1517. 500 years ago, This October 31st, a young man by the name of Martin Luther, you may have heard of him, you may not have, took a hammer, took a nail, went to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, a Catholic monk, and he nailed 95 theses to the door. That sparked what was already beginning to simmer in Germany and other places around there was called the Protestant Reformation. And you may have heard of that, you may not. The fact that you're sitting in a church this morning, listening to the Bible, listening to the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached, the fact that as you drove here, you may have passed a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or a Lutheran church or a Methodist church. All of that, all that you passed, sprung out of what happened 500 years ago. Simply speaking, and this is probably doing injustice to the Protestant Reformation. Simply speaking, Martin Luther was the the spark to the, the already heated flame, in a way, to recovering the doctrines of the Bible. The Catholic Church in that day had taken hold of much of the control of almost everything, including religion, certainly. And here this man had come along to really understand what has come out of 500 years from 1517 you have to go back even another 100 years to 1415 102 years before Martin Luther nailed his 595 theses there was a man by the name of John Huss who was burned alive at the stake for basically what amounted to him being a man who believed the bible As the sole authority of life, faith, and practice. In fact, it was 1520, 
105 years after John Huss was killed, Luther would famously remark, we are all Hussites, meaning Luther and anyone by implication that believed that scripture was the authority of life, faith, and practice subscribed to the teaching of John Huss. Well, out of the Protestant Reformation came what we are looking at for the next five weeks, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. Sola is meaning is Latin, meaning for alone. You could think of our English word solo or only. Certainly the Catholic Church of that day and even today believes in, if you look at the back of your bulletin this morning, they believe in Christ. They believe in faith or in grace or in scripture or the glory of God. But what separates Protestants from Catholics is that we believe Scripture alone has authority. That it's faith alone that saves. It's by God's grace alone. It's through Christ alone for the glory of God alone. Quoting from the Catholic Catechism, both Scripture and, and not alone, and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. Continuing, the task from the Catholic Catechism, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. Close quote. What they're basically saying is you don't have a right to interpret scripture as the sole authority of life, faith, and practice for your own life. I'm the only one who can do that. Is that true? The answer is no. The five solas, as we understand them, are a product of the Reformation. If you go back in church history, you're not going to open up someone's book and say, and, and read where they brought together these five doctrines. In many ways, the, these five doctrines, as we see them organized this morning, are a result of 500 years of history since, as we've slowly put them all together. They're all clearly in their writings, but they're not organized as such. 452 years after Luther nailed his 95 theses, there was a hit song that, that was recorded by the famous Frank Sinatra in 1969. The title, I Did It My Way. Verse 5, quote, For what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, not the words of one who kneels, The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. Yes, I did it my way. Well, Frank Sinatra's song pretty well sums up what has happened over the last 500 years since Luther. We are still sinners. We are still trying to do it our way. We are still in need of reformation and transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. If anything, we have regressed, not moved forward, which is exactly what the Bible teaches us. But were the reformers right in believing these doctrines? Are the doctrines of faith alone and Christ alone and grace alone and scripture alone for the glory of God alone, are they really scriptural pillars of the faith? 
This will be the focus of our next five weeks. We're going to explore scripture and see whether or not these things are actually true. Are they actually biblical? Does the study of these doctrines actually help us in our needed transformation? So when we say scripture alone or sola scriptura this morning, what do we actually mean when we say that? Robert Godfrey uh, teaching fellow with Ligonier Ministries says this, the Protestant position, quote, and my possession position is that all things necessary for salvation and concerning faith and life are taught in the Bible with enough clarity that the ordinary believer can find them there and understand. Let me say that one more time. That all things necessary for salvation and concerning faith and life are taught in the Bible with enough clarity that the ordinary believer can find them there and understand. Or, let's boil it down even further, as I've already said, the Bible is our only, underline, only rule for faith and practice. But is that actually true? Is the Bible our only rule for faith and in practice. Well, I trust you have your Bible open to 2 Timothy 3. Let's allow the Bible to defend itself in a way this morning. If you're looking at your Bible, you'll see verse 14 through 17 there of 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to begin by looking at verse 16. We'll wrap back around to 14 and 15 at the close of our time together. Verse 16, point number one this morning is the authority of Scripture comes from the authority of God. The authority of scripture comes from the authority of God. You'll notice it says there, all, that's all of it. All scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture has no authority at all and is actually a waste of our time this morning if God has no authority. If scripture is that which is breathed out by God, we're completely wasting our time in giving it any authority of all if God has no authority. Therefore, our belief or disbelief in the doctrine of scripture alone as authority hinges upon whether or not we believe that God is the chief and final authority. You see, the issue for the Reformation was not as much Scripture being God's word. Catholicism believes that scripture is God's word. But the real issue is an issue of authority. Is scripture alone authoritative for our life? Or is it scripture plus? What does the Bible say? Well, let's let the Bible introduce us to this God. And let's let him, the Bible determine whether or not we should believe he is the God of all authority. Well, we can begin in the very first verse of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God has created all that we have seen this morning, even as we came in. As we drove through the countryside and saw the trees and the birds and the deer and the sky and the sun. Last night, the moon and the stars... We're told from Psalm 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. We have the proof of creation around us. The pinnacle of his creation being man. That we are created, man and woman created in the image of God. And you you may have been taught that evolution is the way. The Bible teaches something different. 
One proof of it is, are you seeing any the animals getting any closer to us? My dog was pretty smart. But it wasn't as smart as my two-year-old. If God is the creator of all the earth, it stands to reason then that the Bible, and it does, teaches that he is also the sovereign ruler of his creation. And therefore, if he's the sovereign ruler, meaning he's in control and has power over everything, Paul then is able to say in Romans 8, 28, the Apostle Paul, that all things work together for good for those who love God. There's, there's no way he can say that if God is not in control of all things. Meaning everything. Everything. His word, the Bible, has always come true. Now, I don't know about you, but I've known some people over the years who are said a lot of good things, said a lot of truthful things. But not everything they've said has come true. And yet, you hold in your hand this morning a book. And it's not one book. It's actually 66 books put together by 40 different authors over a 2,000 year period of time on as much as three continents. And yet all of it flows together. Or for take, for instance, your friend. How many friends do you have that have predicted by name something that's going to happen 150 years down the road? We actually have that. Isaiah the prophet prophesies of a man, a man by the name of Cyrus, the king of Persia, who would free the Jews. And he prophesied this would happen 150 years before Cyrus was even born. The answer of why all that can happen is all of Scripture is breathed out by God. Or the, 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 the word there is expired. The word is, is blown out. God breathed it onto people. It was, the, it was the wind in their sails that then had them write down not what was a good idea or something they thought might be a good story, but it was actually the words of God. And yet we see that the crown jewel of the proof of God's word being true is not just prophecies fulfilled. is not just the heavens and the beauty of the Milky Way. The crown jewel, that honor belongs to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The central theme of the entire Bible is that Jesus Christ And his birth and life and work and death and burial and resurrection and ascension is that which is the the epitome of the glory of God. Is that which takes sinners and actually brings them into right relationship with God the Father. And you will find that central theme from the very beginning to the very end. It either basks in the light of or points toward Christ. You notice it says there in verse 16 of your Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all of Scripture, Paul, when he's writing this to Timothy, is actually speaking of the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been organized yet. We can now see all of it together as being all of Scripture. But even the Old Testament, which we prefer to think of as sort of maybe a little dry, maybe difficult to read through, is actually 
expired, inspired by God for our lives. So my argument then is, Scripture, being then the expired word of God, is authoritative because it is the word of the ultimate authority, God himself. And it's not just authoritative for some parts of our lives, it's actually authoritative for all of our life. Not just the parts that we're interested in giving it authority. You see, today, if not more than ever, we're either constantly seeking to reject authority or abuse it. It's all over the news. Click on any news station. Doesn't matter whether you're, you're Democratic, Democratic or Republic, Democrat or Republican. What's across the news is either rejection of authority or abuse of it. Well, if authority has, if, if the scripture actually has the authority that we should give it, if it's actually the word of God and actually has all authority, which is what I'm arguing for, which is what scripture I believe makes very clear, then it has at least two implications, and there's many more, but at least two implications for our lives this morning. First of all, that only scripture, only scripture has the right to bind one's conscience. No one else has the right to bind your conscience. So if I was to stand up here uh, this morning and, and say, listen, every single one of you, when we sing this next song, has to, has to for the glory of God alone. And if you don't do this, God is not pleased with your life. Raise your hand when we're singing. You got to hold it up. Holy hands, everybody. What? You're not doing it. God's not pleased with you. I would be binding your conscience. I would be adding to scripture. No one can do that except for Scripture. Only Scripture and what Scripture says is to bind our authority. Therefore, it's just fine if you want to raise your hand. You see me do it sometimes. And yet if you don't do it, you're not wrong. And if someone ever is to tell you to do something because Scripture says they do, they're actually seeking to bind your conscience. They're not allowed to do that. Well, also what we can understand is that oftentimes this fits in subtly when someone might come to you and say, you know, receive a word from the Lord. Well, that's great. I hope you did. Yeah, and, and this is what he said that you should do. Oh, only God's word can bind our conscience. Only what you read here can be that which binds our conscience. That's one of the implications of sola scriptura. Another one is that there is only one meaning of the text. That's tough. Notice, we actually believe what we're saying with Sola Scripture is it, it is the, the Bible is the, the rule. Not, not one, not many, but the, the only, singular rule for faith and practice. Meaning, there, there's one meaning. That we believe in objective truth. Now that flies in the face of everything. Nobody believes in objective truth anymore. That's why, that's why we're all fine with going and seeing a movie like Dunkirk, if you saw it. But that isn't actually accurate to what actually happened in World War II. And we're totally good with that. Why? Because everything's subjective today. It's about what it means to you. So when we go to the Bible study, we read the Bible and we say, what does that mean to you? It doesn't matter what it believe means to us. It matters what God intends for it to mean. And we wrestle over those things. And yes, we have differences of beliefs in here over what the singular meaning of a particular text is. And we should wrestle over that. We do so with humility. But we also should all agree that it's the Bible that has authority and it's objective. 
not subjective. The meaning is not internal. The meaning is actually external. It's outside of us. We have options this morning as to how to know God. You can uh, seek to know God by experience. You can seek to know him maybe by human reasoning. Uh, You could seek to know him by coming to church. Or you could seek to know him by the Bible. If God declares that his word is sufficient and profitable and even equips, as we'll look here in a moment, what else do you need besides the Bible? Tradition? Human reasoning? Experience? Tradition's helpful. I read church history. It's helpful. Reasoning is something that God has given us the ability to do. Logic, working things through our minds. That's excellent. Experience is valuable. But these are not the final authority. Because all of these are based on the the fallibility of man. Scripture alone is the final authority of knowing God. Because only scripture is God's word and only God is perfect. There is no other one like him. Well, I believe in the doctrine of scripture alone. Because God declares this to be his word. The question for every one of us this morning. Well, the question for you is, do you believe that? And what I would submit to you is you're not going to believe that this is God's word unless you believe in God. Well, let's continue. The second thing we're going to notice is not only is all scripture breathed out by God, but the second part of verse 16, it's profitable. It is profitable. Well, the profitability lies in in what is the interpretative center of of our reading of the Bible. So Christ is the interpretive center of the Bible. As we've already looked at. And therefore the profitability of scripture. Is because it comes from the from the Bible. And points us toward Christ. And notice you you see it says. It's profitable for teaching. A list here. Teaching. Reproof. Correction. Training. In righteousness. And this is the maybe the easiest way to think about it. It's profitable because it shows us how to think and act. That's teaching. It shows me when I'm in sin. That's reproof. It, it, it confronts us in our sin. It shows me how to change. That's correction. That, that Greek word it, it implies someone that's fallen down and you're helping them to stand up. And finally, it defines how to keep from repeating my sin over and over again. Training and righteousness. All of us, as we walk out this life, have a tendency to pull away from the word of God. And yet as we read the word of God, it teaches us that the path we're walking is not right. That's when it confronts us. It rebukes us. And then it tells us how to turn. That's the correction. So we make that turn in our lives. And then it tells us how we walk. That's the training in righteousness that we see there. And so there's implications even here. We notice that we have all of the divine words, the words of God that one needs for all of life. So let's be clear, we don't have everything we need for life in Scripture. We don't have everything that we need for life in Scripture. You're not taught how to change a tire by the Bible. Or how to fix a leaky faucet. Or how to fly an airplane. Or how to play the piano, or to cook a roast, or to do a backflip. You're not going to open the Bible and say, ah, yeah, that's how I do that. You won't find those things. But we do see that scripture contains all the divine words that we need for life. 
This is a sufficient book for theology. It's not a, it's not a plumber's manual on how to fix something. And yet, the plumber can go to the Bible and see all that he needs theologically in the Bible. All the divine words he needs on how to live, work, and act as a plumber are in the Bible. If for no other reason, 1 Corinthians 10.31, he's to do all to the glory of God. It doesn't tell him righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, but it tells him how to have a good attitude when righty-tighty, lefty-loosey doesn't work so well. So it's not wrong then to seek truth outside of Scripture. A plumber, we're beating up on the plumbers this morning, if you're a plumber, sorry. A plumber consults the owner's manual the, for, for a new faucet precisely because that manual contains truth that the Bible doesn't contain. However, the plumber is not to look at any other manual other than Scripture to find the truth of God and what God says. He need not look elsewhere because he will not need any other divine words in addition to what he has in the Bible. Now, we also need to understand that the Bible does not contain all religious truth. It doesn't? No. Deuteronomy 29, 29, Romans 11, 33 and 34, the depth of the knowledge of God. We don't have the depth of the knowledge of God. Ours taps out at a certain point. John 20, verse 30 and 31, saying that there are many other things that Christ did that are not written down. But we have all that we actually need. All the divine words we need that one needs for life, we have this morning. Finally, number three, the authority of Scripture equips us for life. This is verse 17. The authority of Scripture equips us for life. Before the authority of Scripture equips us for life, we have to understand that the authority of Scripture gives us life. Notice verse 14. Paul instructing his young protege, Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, that's the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The Scriptures are the authority on the clarity of how to be saved. Scriptures make clear the way of salvation. And notice, they make clear the way of salvation, not only on how to be saved, but also how to walk out that salvation, because they equip us. They make us competent for every good work. The authority of Scripture is sufficient for all of life. That's what that word every means, every good work. The Bible is always clear enough clear enough for us to carry out our responsibilities before God. So we recognize that Scripture is sufficient. And therefore, it's, it's also not a denial of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture to declare that other things may be necessary to understand Scripture. So if you open your Bible this morning and say, all I need is this to understand it, you'd actually be wrong. Because we need more than just the Bible to understand the Bible. We need the illumination of the Holy Spirit in order to understand and conform to the authority of Scripture. And therefore, the need of the Holy Spirit and the authority and sufficiency of Scripture are not in opposition to one another. They're actually hand in hand. 
We should notice then, even from this, from this passage in verse 17, that the scripture has the power manifested by the Holy Spirit to change our lives. That should be incredible news for us this morning. You're told how to, to change your diet. You're told how to change your job. You're told how to change your marriage, your family, your feelings. But none of those things ultimately work. The January 1st resolutions last till January 2nd half the time. But the Bible can transform your life. That should be incredible news for us this morning. What a gift it is that we actually can hold God's word that can transform us on our laps. And its power is precisely because it is the word of the living God. So when we speak of hearing from the Bible, what we should actually say is that we are hearing from God. How often times you may have heard, I've heard certainly, if I could just hear from God, I'd know what to do. What you're actually saying is you want to hear an audible voice. Because all I have to do is go to the Bible and actually read it. And you're hearing from God. But we're thinking, maybe it's not enough. I recall this morning as I was preparing a way a time way before my marriage i was interested in this young lady she was a godly young lady i wasn't sure what i should do and i was thinking the same thing if i could just hear from god on whether or not that person is the one i should pursue for marriage then i'll know so to my shame i went and looked up to see if her name was in the bible thinking if it's in there sure well it wasn't so then i tried the greek wasn't there either. See my point? We're looking for it to be sufficient on what we think it should be sufficient for. But it's sufficient for everything I need to know from God. And it's actually everything there that could tell me on whether or not this is the young lady I should have pursued. And it ultimately did, even to my immaturity and how to read it. If God's word... Is the final authority, then only God's way is the way of salvation. I've already asked you this morning, do you believe in God? Well, if you don't believe in God for salvation, then your belief is in something faulty. Your belief is in something other than that which is going to actually make an eternal difference. If you're, if you're, if your path, if, if your way, if, if you're still singing my way with Frank Sinatra, my way to the way of heaven, and you aren't willing to submit yourself to God's way as defined in scripture, then there's no hope for you. And yet, the Bible says, not my way, but the way of Christ. John 14, 6, I am, Christ says, the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, God, but through me, but by me. Only through Christ do we get the way to know this God. And only through belief and faith in the work of Christ to save us from our sins do we come into right relationship with God. And then does this scripture actually come alive? Does it actually then have the power to change us because only through belief and faith in Christ do we gain the power of God through the Holy Spirit. 
Christ, Jesus Christ, is the manifestation of God's love and kindness towards sinners. Christ coming from heaven to earth is the kindness and love of God displayed in its fullest capacity. We have no ability to know the Father but through Christ. We have no ability to know the mind of God but through Christ. Therefore, we're told in John 1.18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. We can know God through Christ. Therefore, Christ... That's why Christ is the central core of the scriptures. That's why when the Ethiopian eunuch is is found reading the book of Isaiah and Philip comes along in the book of Acts and sees him and says, what are you reading? And he says, how can I understand this unless somebody explain to me? And Philip gets down and explains to him how these things point to and are connected with Christ. The revolving center of all of scripture is that life, work, Death and Jesus Christ as the perfect substitute for sin reconciles sinful man with the holy God to those who will believe by faith. Is there anything else more important? Is there anything else that has eternal ramifications such as the truth of how you can know God? It's certainly of vast importance than who we should marry. It's of more importance than what we should study. It's of greater importance than where we should move. It's of more importance than, than everything else. And so have you submitted to that truth? That have you repented of your sin and trusted Christ alone as the salvation for your, from your sin and reconciling you to God? If you've not, it's simple. There's nothing you really can do. It's acknowledging the work of Christ. It's confessing that you are a sinner. Christ has saved you. You trust his work alone to save you. If you want to know more about that, people in the pew right, left of you, I'm standing at the back. Don't leave today. Let us talk to you about that. Scripture alone, as we've said all morning now, has the final authority for all of life and doctrine. And yet does our Does our practice actually prove this? And I would suggest that most often times it does not. I would submit that for you today even believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura because they've read the Bible well enough to know it. Most of us, myself included in this morning, probably believe and understand the doctrine of sola scriptura because of some blog we read or some, some book we read or some conference we went to or some tweet we came across, or some Facebook page, or some celebrity, favorite celebrity reform pastor or theologian that said something about Sola Scriptura and we listened to his talk and now we can defend it. We often look elsewhere, anywhere but Scripture to gain understanding on Scripture. And Luther would probably be able to very clearly scream at us this morning if necessary. That we are as far away from sola scripture, scriptura, modern, lumping it all together, evangelical church, as, there, as we were in his day. He simply fought for scripture being the final authority and not the church. And yet he also fought for the church being the one to articulate the truth of scripture. And yet when we view any man's teaching, even the good man's teaching, 
as having authority without being good Bereans from Acts 17 and going to the word to deduce whether they are right or wrong. We've done exactly what the Catholic Church of Luther was doing. We've given mere man authority over our lives that only scripture is to have. It happens all day, every day. Christ declares the word to be that which is the authority. In closing, remember in Matthew chapter 4, Christ has just come after, come out of 40 days of fasting and prayer and he's tempted by Satan. And as Satan comes and, and tempts him in his physical weakness, notice the response in Matthew 4. Read it this afternoon. He doesn't declare his, his deity as the authority by which Satan should, should go away. He doesn't declare his, his perfection. He doesn't declare his, his background. He doesn't declare his experience of 30 years to be the authority of why the enemy should go away. He declares scripture to be the final authority. It is written. And then he quotes from the word. Brothers and sisters, do we need anything else if that's what Christ used as his authority. Well, what are we to do today? How are we to leave to here? How are we to leave here and be changed? Well, I take you back to verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, continue in the scriptures. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Let us be those who continue to be people of the word of God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 21. Peter tells a a great story of his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ. I don't know about you, but all of us probably have friends that you've heard that story they like to tell over and over again. Remember that time, and you're thinking, yeah, I've heard it 20 times, but you allow them to tell it because it was important to them. And Peter's sort of doing the same thing. Remember that time I was on the mountain, and Christ was transfigured, I saw all his glory. Remember that experience I had, it was incredible. And then Peter almost pauses and says, you know, if you had a choice, what's what's better? That experience on the holy mountain with Christ and transfiguration or the Bible? Ten seconds, go. 9.9 seconds later, Bible! Right? Because we're all tending to put it on experience. But Peter here is saying is, You've got the Bible. There's nothing. He actually says this in verse 19. There's nothing more certain or sure. We have the Bible on our laps. Let's not let it grow dusty this week. I'm just going to close with some scriptures. Psalm 12, 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. For if anyone, James... 1, 23 and 25. Is a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of man he is. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law. The law of liberty and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer. But an effectual doer. This man shall be blessed in what he does. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp to my feet. And a light unto my path. Jeremiah 23, 29. We know that the, the, the word of God is a hammer and a fire. 
Brothers and sisters, I pray and trust that we will have the great blessing even this week of having the word crush us and even burn us if necessary that we might be those who are purified for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what is a delight it is to know that we can hold your holy word this morning and hear from it and be trained by it and changed by it. Father, we thank you when your word, whether it's in the sermon or in our daily Bible reading, confronts us, rebukes us, convicts us of our sin, burns away the the imperfections that are there. We thank you that you've given us not just experience or, or some thought to go on, that the authority of what to do to honor you doesn't come from someone else's mind competing with what I think we should do, but we have the objective truth of your word. We thank you, Father, that we can open it this morning without fear of reprisal, without fear of persecution, getting beaten up, losing our family, our own life, our possessions. You've given us freedom in America at this time to open your word. Help us to be people of the word each and every day, to love it, to drink of it, to eat from it. In the precious name of Christ, we pray. Amen.